listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances podcast. Uh, as always, my name is Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. I probably should stop saying that at this point. We're already like 32 episodes into this thing. So what is today's topic? Today's topic is the culmination of the last four episodes. And that has everything to do with cycles. Um, we talked about chaos and creation and, and order and destruction, but we didn't really talk too much about how they, I started to, but we didn't really talk about how much they intertwine with one another. And that's really, really where things start together. So we have, um, episodes 32, 33, 34, and 35 chaos, creation, order, destruction. Last episode in destruction, I started to talk about how these all come together and, I think I even mentioned I was going to talk about how they come together in this episode. So let's start off, as we usually do, with a definition. The definition at this point is cycles, or really the definition of cycle. And Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines that as an interval of time during which a sequence of a reoccurring succession of events or phenomena is completed. And I think that's, that's good enough. Um, that's a good enough definition to kind of to work from. I also want to kind of note um, later down in the page in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it notes the definition of a cycle as a long period of time. Um, and that's kind of fitting here as well. But for now, an interval of time during which a sequence of reoccurring succession of events or phenomena is completed. Kind of what we're dealing with here. Now, I know I've been looking at what is the spiritual nature of things? And I've, I've laid out some ground rules for this. The spiritual nature of things has to include why questions. Remember, everything before this, episodes 31 and back, I always said, don't ask why questions. You don't get good answers. It's all subjective. So why questions are the realm of subjectivity. They're also the realm of cycles. They're the realm of why, you know, why something happens is the realm of a cyclical nature. And it's often that in life, these cycles are quick or long or they're, you know, you're halfway through one and you never find completion of it. Cycles have a big weighing aspect on how we go about our lives. Specifically to give a, just an, an easy, you know, example, misunderstandings are typically cycles that haven't either completed themselves or are two completely, like the misunderstanding is probably that the, the two individuals might be in complete different portions of the cycle. I've had this on many occasions. Uh, one occasion, most recently, actually happened to me today. Had a misunderstanding with someone where I understood things one way and I was on that cycle path. And that cycle path was the ordering position. Everything was coming into order. And I knew at some point it was going to come to an end. But it hadn't gotten there yet. We were still kind of getting things into order. Whereas the other person thought they were creating something new. 
And so they were kind of at the second part of the cycle of chaos, creation, order, and destruction. So they were thinking they were creating something new, whereas I was completely ordering what was already occurring. And there was a misunderstanding. And that misunderstanding was beyond just that differentiation of the cycles. But in reality, if I looked at it from the big picture, that's really what was occurring. The cycles were at different points for each individual. And so there was a misunderstanding. Now from there, we can ask all sorts of different questions and we can have all sorts of different discussions about what really happened. He said, she said, they said, that said, you know, you can have all sorts of deliberation on it. And that's the realm of subjectivity. I'm sorry, that's the realm of objectivity, but the subject here, the subjective question is why did this happen? Why did the outcome of, and I'll be completely blatantly honest about it, me probably leaving the job I am at currently, why did that occur? It occurred because the owner and operator of the business and the corporation in which I work for under that umbrella, they're at a different cycle than I am. They're at what I consider the end of their cycle and they're trying to create something new. They're trying to, and, but it, they're trying to skip the step everyone skips and that's the destroying part into the chaos part and then you can create something. You can't create something without destroying something else in if it's already working or already existing. You gotta destroy something else to put something new in place. But you have to have that chaos moment. I personally am in the let's fucking destroy some shit section of my employment there. I fucking hate corporate idea of massage. I think it's degrading the industry. I think it has been degrading the industry, but that's all a different discussion. This discussion is about cycles. So you can see where they're at one part of the cycle. I'm at a different part of the cycle. Misunderstandings happen. Ultimately though, you have to answer your why questions and you have to answer for your cycles. You have to understand your cycles and I think that is possibly one of the most key elements of spirituality that I've kind of come to the conclusion of why questions are yours. You own them. You get to answer them because they are ultimately subjective. And although you may have faith or belief or, you know, a ruling higher power, anything in the realm of spirituality, you may have that figured out, or you may be working on that. The, that part, that whole branch of the self, the spiritual life, the spiritual understanding is a defined nature in which to work upon my spirituality as, you know, if we're going back to this example of me, you know, I'm probably leaving the corporate massage world because I fucking hate it. That's a spiritual thing for me. I don't do massage to get rich. I do massage to be in service to the community. I believe everyone should be of service to the community in some way or another. That could be from fucking collecting the trash to serving drinks, to giving massages, to renting out, you know, real estate or building houses for people. It, I don't care how you do it, but you have to be of service to the community. I also believe you need to do that morally and ethically. I don't believe the corporation I work for to be in a moral and ethical position. Whereas massage is ruled by morals and ethics. Fuck my, my continuing education has a point every two years. I have to take a certain amount of hours in the realm of morals and ethics to continue to have my license. So in that vein of things, my decision 
is a spiritual decision because I have to ask why. Why am I working here? Why am I not working somewhere else? And oftentimes we take that subjectivity, that realm of spiritual questions, and we answer it with non-spiritual questions. We answer it with non, non-other. We ask, we ask the hows, the whys, the whens, the wheres. You know, where are you going to work, Phil? When are you going to leave? How are you going to make a living? That all really doesn't fucking matter. As long as I can ask the big why question and answer it with a, almost like a, I don't know how to word this yet, but it's like a answering with a why question. And I believe that to be the realm of, of cycles. So let's, let's delve a little deeper into that. If I, it's not really, it's not really a question of when, how, or where, or all those things. Those are all, again, objective questions. The real question to begin with is, why am I leaving corporate massage world? Well, I'd have to answer that because I don't believe they're morally and ethically correct. And morals and ethics are based on the realm of spirituality. So let's, you know, we'll just kind of pull back some layers here. Why am I driven to do that? Well, that's an interesting question, right? When we, when we start asking like those types of why questions, when we get into the real deep ideas of why am I willing to give up? What is a, a well-paying job that allows me to, you know, have the technology, a full studio here to create a podcast and the time and ability to do it. I, it affords me a condo to live in and all of this coming from someone who used to live out his fucking car. You know, why would I, why would I want to give away that stability or, or give that up? Well, I can answer that objectively. I could say it'd be easy for me to go to another location. I certainly would, you know, I, I'm well-versed and I'm well, and I'm comfortable in my ability in massage. But beyond that, there's something deeper. And that deeper part is I've never struggled to work. I've always found my way. I've always either worked three, four jobs, five jobs, six jobs at a time. I've always worked, you know, 70 hour work weeks. It's not the work. I'm not afraid of things. And this is where I want to bring fear into this because fear is part of the cycle, Right we can take that cycle of chaos creation, order and destruction, and we can make it as big or as small as we want as above. So below universal law. That's where I'm getting with this is when I ask myself, why do I want to leave the job I'm at, even though it affords me all sorts of great things, it's because it doesn't make me, my work makes me feel good where I work. Doesn't, where I work makes me feel like I don't even know where to begin with explaining. Cause so these get into a personal thing and I'm trying to give personal examples, but essentially it boils down to why am I willing to sacrifice? Why? Cause I believe it's the right thing to do. I believe the right thing to do is to treat your employees correctly, to treat your customers correctly, to not, to not fuck with things, to not play games. I believe if, if we can get into a place where we feel like we're being correct and not just like, you know, if you have to try to rationalize it with, okay, let's, let's put it that way. This, the thought literally just occurred to me to put it this way. 
if you have to rationalize your why answers with non why answers. So if you have to rationalize with how or, or where, when, if you have to, if you have to rationalize using all those objectivity things, it's not the correct answer to the why question. If you can just simply answer the why question, then it, I feel it's in, it's incorrectness or it's in, it's the correct direction. And this is where I think people who really get called to something truly feel called to it. I'm called to work with people, even though I'm a, I'm a huge introvert and I'd rather just be a hermit and be left alone. I'm called to this weird understanding I have about how human minds work and how human bodies work and how you can cut through all the bullshit because we're lacking that in society. We're lacking, we're lacking just real true experience. We're lacking connection. And that comes from the realm of spirituality. And oddly enough, I'm going to go back to massage quite a few times in this episode because I'm hoping to make this all make sense. But answering a why question often comes with relief or the realm of spirituality, the realm of other. And that's why I want to talk about cycles in this episode, because we have to look at the cyclical nature of all of it. And as I talked about in the destruction episode, I believe us to have to been lied to. That everything comes from chaos. Everything is infinite potential. And if there's infinite potentiality, then how do we how do we make sense of it and how do we choose? Well, that's the dangerous, crazy question we're not used to answering, asking, or being a part of. How when we use chaos is all objective, right? Why should I be comfortable with chaos? Why is throwing out to my employer, hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm done, I'm done with this. I'll, you know, I don't hate you. I don't, none of that. It's not personal in any way. I'm just done with this situation. Why is that comfortable to me? It's comfortable with me because I'm comfortable with chaos and understanding the idea that, you know what? Chaos is infinite possibility. Now it's on me from that point to be a creator. I must create something new out of this, right? And this is where the cyclical nature starts to begin. So I'll create something new. But the why of why it's happening is because I'm comfortable with that chaos. And let me, let me go a little bit deeper into that and try to break that apart a little bit. If you've ever had just that deep, satisfying feeling of, yeah, okay, that was the right answer. That was the right way to go about it. Or the comfort of feeling like you did the right thing. Or even beyond that, if you have the opposite of the reaction, that like, oh, I really should have, you know, really should have done that. Or, you know, those learning experiences we go through in life, I believe are part of also, you know, a larger cycle, but also a smaller cycle. This is, this is kind of what people talk about when we talk about reincarnation, specifically in the realm of karma and dharma and those things. But I think that's only one understanding of it. If I'm looking at a bigger understanding, the comfort of chaos, of being inside of that infinite possibility, has feelings to it. You might get the goosebumps on your skin or get a, a chill feeling through your vagus nervous system 
or there's that, you know, the quote unquote spidey sense of like something bad's about to happen or something good's about to happen or the, the people at a sports game where the crowd starts to get this excitement builds as the underdog is about to come back and win the whole thing, but it hasn't happened yet. The, the rally hasn't started yet, but it's about to, and you feel it and you kind of just go with it. Those types of feelings I believe are built into the human system. We have the vagus nervous system. We have the nervous system in general. We're like giant antennas. We just don't listen to it. And that's where answering why questions becomes something spiritual, becomes something other, because it's almost like it's a different understanding of our senses. So if we go back and we go back to what self is. Self is the human physical body, the mind, and well, other, the, the spiritual form, right? That would give us the opportunity to look at how the senses work in that sense. Well, that's a terrible sense. How the senses work on that coin, if you will. Remember I talk about how duality is actually trinity it's duality is the two sides of the same coin in the, in the human self in you know, what we consider human self is not just the body. It's not just the consciousness. It's not just a spiritual afterlife or anything like that. It's all three, but the consciousness is the coin. It's our measurement. It's, it's the basis in which we measure both sides on. So if you go back to episodes 21, 22, 23, 24, the body is one set of understandings of those senses that happens in the mind. Our consciousness takes in all of this information going through our, our nervous system and we make decisions based on it. And those are, that's hard, that's soft, that's, that hurts, that feels good, uh, that tastes good, that tastes bad. It's the understanding of the physical form sentence, uh, senses. If that isn't an occurrence in the body and the mind is making that adaptation and understanding, the opposite must be true. The spiritual side, the spiritual body must also have these senses and its understanding of them. We just don't listen to them because we never learned how. No one ever taught us. Nothing ever presented itself that we would feel those things or feel that presence of the spirituality side. And unfortunately it's been coerced and corrupted in my personal opinion with, you know, all sorts of different snake oil salespeople throughout history. But if we took the time to better understand it, we would understand these cycles that there's, this thing of chaos, creation, order, and, and destruction. And they can happen in the course of a second or in the course of a million years. We only see one side. It's the unfortunate nature of humanity in today's society that we only see the physical body side of our senses. We don't have an understanding of what I believe to be and what I'm going to, I think I'm going to start calling. Remember, I'm kind of on the bleeding edge of figuring all this out for myself. True 
spirituality. True spirituality in my definition now is the ability to sense the spiritual, the other. I now must understand how the mind goes about doing that. And I have to look through cycles that there's infinite possibility. Then that is given structure and there's something that is created. When that happens, there must be a sense. And even inside of that creation, there must be a sense as well. And I don't know what that feels like, but I imagine it's the satisfaction someone gets when they create something, whatever that feeling is but not just the physical form of feeling it. What is the preemptive feeling of that? What is the sense that happens before a thought or an idea comes into fruition or an idea, an idea springs into the creator's mind? What was the feeling Da Vinci or Aristotle or Pythagoras or any one of these, you know, ancient thinkers had before they created their ideas? before it even became something. What is that feeling, that sense? Is it tingling on the skin? Is it feeling of heat in the palms? Or I can't describe that specifically, but I can describe the next. So once we create something, we order it. That's the next step of the cycle. I know what the senses of the other or spiritual are in order. Because I've studied that. I've studied traditional Chinese medicine and Qigong. And I know that Qi predecesses blood. I'm sorry. Attention, intention or awareness predecesses Qi. Qi predecesses blood. Shen is the realm of awareness. So Shen predecesses Qi. Qi predecesses Jing. And vice versa back up the, the reaction list. Well, what does that feel like when I do Qigong? I get a magnetic pulsing in the hands. Sometimes I will get heat upon the palms. In fact, the entire traditional Chinese medicine system has a method of describing all of these things that happen with the five element system, with the Shen, Qi, and Jing cycle, or feeling the meridian system. That's all well described, but we only react to it in the physical form. Those who have experienced it in the other, in the spiritual and the bioelectric side of things, will better understand this. But even those who have sought out Reiki practice or those who have prayed in a group or have done laying of hands, any one of those quote-unquote spiritual practices will maybe understand the senses of order. Because that's the truest nature of what I believe is the realm of expressing one's religion through prayer or through laying of hands or any one of those spiritual, what we call practices. Because like meditation, everything becomes a spiritual practice once you understand what spirit is or what spiritual nature is, in my personal opinion. So going along that line, I can tell you that when I order spiritual nature or spiritual energy or what I consider bioelectric field in a Qigong practice, I get magnet, magnetic flow. I feel like a magnet pull in between my palms. If I'm doing it to a client of mine, if I'm 
doing my version of what most people call quote unquote energy healing, what I call reading the bioelectric field, I can feel a pulse around their cranium. And it will often tell me a great number of things about these people. In my massage practice, I've often asked someone like, would you mind if I read your bioelectric field? And if they say yes, and I do so, I can often tell quite a bit. I can say, you know, in, in some cases, I might get someone who's feeling anxious and their energy, or I'm going to use the word energy loosely here, that, that, that magnetic pulse I'll feel will be jittery. It will feel technically anxious to me. I might get someone who's just been tired and is very lethargic and just is run down and their energy might feel that way. It might be, feel sleepy to me. I've had people who are just very rambunctious or um, I, would, I would call their energy rambunctious or again, quote unquote energy, but they're very, uh, they're anxious in that way. They're anxious in the way of like, they just need to be moving and doing and they're, they don't like saying still, I, I've felt that before. I don't have a great vocabulary list for it because I just kind of make it up as I go. I just get a descriptive word in my mind when I read these things and I go, hey, you know, are you feeling this way or that way? And I'm often right oddly enough. And for the longest time, I, I kind of fought against it. I was like, oh, this is all, I don't know what I'm doing here. But as I practiced it more, repetition is the mother of all skill, failure is its father. As I practiced it more, I found myself reading that sense. And that sense is the sense of order. That is the realm of order, the balance and the structures and the things that are happening. I'm not creating anything here. The bioelectric field and the, and the static situation of the individual, that has already been created. And that, that's currently the realm in which they are in. And it's being ordered. I can maybe help with the destruction of a, what we call a plausible negative situation. So maybe I want to do quote unquote energy healing. I believe that's what Reiki practice is trying to do. What Qigong practice is trying to do is to destroy the negative aspects to allow fruition of the positive aspects. That's maybe what they're working with, but the sense of it is specific to the cycle piece so that each one of these pieces has its own procession, its own feeling. And that's not to say that there's just four of them because that would be far too diluted of a understanding of what spiritual nature is. But I can say that each one has its own feeling. We all know what the feeling of destruction is. That's why I saved this one for last. We know what death feels like to us. We've all lost someone. We've all dealt with that first instance in your life where you learn what death really is. That that, that being, be it animal, person, anything, is dead now. There is no coming back. There is no just, just, you know, recreating or anything like that. In fact, going back to my massage practice, and um, I won't give you her name, but I had a client of mine who gave me a perfect example of all of this. And I, I thank her for that. She said that in her personal life with her children, she likes to be aware of and remember how I feel about awareness and all that. She likes to be aware of the language in which she uses her and her, her husband like to be aware of the language in which they use around their children. So in my eyes, I think that's completely self-aware and it's also a great deal of self-awareness to say they're having an attention to the intention of the vocabulary and the words they're using around their children. That's, that's amazing. It's part of unconditional love. If you ask me, 
And they're very specific to not say something died. And her example was they don't, when a, when a toy stops working, they don't say the batteries died because they didn't want their children to think that, oh, you can just replace the batteries if something dies. And that perfectly encapsulated the idea of destruction and the senses that go with it. We know the finality of death. We know what it feels like. In fact, I have personally experienced what that end of that cycle feels like for someone on two instances. And I didn't quite understand at the time what I was feeling. And I always known I've had, you know, just a different sense of things, but I don't always tap into it. But in the case of the death of two of my grandfathers, I was present for the end. Um, my mother's stepfather and my father's father. In both instances, I asked to be alone in the room with the individual. And in both instances, I felt this never-ending pull to the ground. To the, even to like the center of the earth, if you will. Just this massive, not weight. It wasn't a weight. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, like a, like a pressure. It was just a pull down, like a sinking feeling, but not, I didn't feel, I didn't feel horrible. I didn't feel nauseous. None of that. There was no real, what we consider negative feeling to it. I just felt this never ending pull downward, sinking into the ground. That's what I felt like. And that to me is this descriptive of what the end of the life cycle, the destruction part feels like. It's the separating pool. I wonder sometimes if they feel the opposite. If I felt the death of their body, because that's what I was feeling, right? I'm in tune with other people's bodies. That's what I've been doing nearly my entire life, at least 15 years worth of work. I can tell what's going on with someone's body just by placing a hand on their shoulder, to be honest. And I'm not always right. And I'm not always completely accurate, but I generally can just be like, Oh, it's this, 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 you know, and I might miss something here and there. I'm not great. At, I'm not, I'm not perfect at it. I'm pretty darn good. I think, but I'm in tune with the physical form. And in those instances, those two specific instances, I felt this deep pulling down for their physical body. But it almost had a tunnel aspect that maybe they felt completely opposite. Maybe they get pulled, maybe they're feeling a lifting or a, an exiting of that sense. I would love to talk to someone who has ever had a full astral body uh, an astral projection moment, you know, where you're, they either use the uh, like rolling out of their body or the, the floating out of their body feeling. I've never been able to accomplish it myself, but I wonder if that's the feeling. The separation of the conscious from the physical form. What we would know as Satori or enlightenment, the nature of that, to enlighten one's one of their own body. For the consciousness to leave its mortal entrapment. Most religions, they call this exaltation to God. You lived your physical mortal life and you exalted your God by dying in their light and you returned home to them. 
is that what we were describing this entire time? Were we describing the lifting of the mortal coil to release oneself from one's own body? It would make sense, at least in the cyclical nature and from my own account, be it anecdotal, that that is the feeling that is occurring when I am around someone who is physically dying. Because I've felt it on other occasions, not to the extent that I did with my two grandfathers, because I was solely in a room by myself with them and was able to touch their hand. And that only increased the feeling I was getting. But I've also felt it in other individuals who, I don't want to say were dying, but I felt similar aspects. It's almost like a vital force or a vitality or measurement of it. But again, it's a sense and we don't often know how to describe it. And I think this is the realm of places where people are constantly told like, you're fucking crazy, man. You don't know what you're talking about. That's just weird. These people are just crazy and they're weird. But that's the realm of fear, right? And I talked about cycles. We use the cyclical nature of things in almost everything we do. The way we talk about life. There's birth. There's working, there's taxes, there's death, right? Those types of things. We talk about it in that sense. There's, you know, there's the cycle of life. There's, you know, your working life cycle. There's all, there's the, you know, with the retirement, all that. There's all of these things. We talk about things in the, the day itself, the cycle of the sun and the earth and the moon and the stars. They're all cycles. In fact, full of, you know, cycles is the realm of astrology. Astrology, I would say, is almost the study of the cycles and how they affect us. And again, cycles can be huge macro cycles. Like we talk about the 26,000 year cycles of going through the different ages. One of which we are just coming out of and going into. I believe I talked about that in the last episode. We're coming out of the age of Pisces and going into the age of Aquarius. That's a cycle. But inside of all those big cycles, we have little minute cycles. Like I said, a cycle could be a minute long. It could be an hour long. It could be a million years long. It doesn't matter. But it's all cyclical and it always has been cyclical. And the understanding of cycles is what I believe allows us to start to better understand spirituality. So not only do we have to understand the cycle in its nature of chaos, creation, order, destruction, we have to understand all the minute little cycles that happen inside of that. What is the cycle of chaos? Well, the cycle of chaos is the repeat of chaos. That's why if you look at the chaos symbol, it's eight directional points coming from a singular point in the center. I'm sorry, eight, eight, um, Eight lines going out, eight arrows going out from a center point in all the cardinal and, and sub-cardinal directions. And then there's usually a ring and then another ring. And if you were to expand that chaos symbol out farther, the rings would continue to increase in size and number. Because every time something is destroyed and added back into the realm of chaos, there must be a new ring a new level of possibility. And, you know, this would be completely happening all the time, but in the symbol, we show it as just these increasing number of rings. So the bigger you make the symbol, the more rings you can put on it. 
But those rings are a substantiation of the cycle continuing and continuing and continuing. Same for the cycles of creation. In that sense, it's the cycle of complexity. Because the creation of something is happening regularly. Its complexity is also increasing in doing so. So the form of that whatever, you know, the, the literal primordial form of making something out of infinite possibility and giving it structure, creation, is defined by, um, if you take two lines up and down and two lines side to side and then connect each of the, each line to the, the second next line in the series. So if you have, let's just take eight points. If you have point one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, you connect lines one and four, two and five, three and six, all the way around. And then you get this, um, I don't even, it's like a star pattern sort of, but you increase that complexity as the cycle of creation continues and continues and continues. So the complexity of creation starts to make this really crazy helical star pattern. And we see this in the expansion of that into all sorts of different amazing geometrical patterns and shapes that sacred geometry is a really good way of looking at that process. The complexity of creation increases as does the infinite amount of possibilities from chaos as the cycles continue and we get essentially sacred geometry out of it for order. It's the volume of yin and the volume of yang. They just continue to increase over and over and over and over again. Just, they just get massively bigger and bigger and bigger. while also at the same time getting massively smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And then the cycle of destruction. Well, it's its own little microcosm really. The cycle of destruction is the act of finishing, finality, but definition of end. Whereas chaos is the definition of everything, infinite possibility. Creation being the definition of the singular, order being the definition of the pieces of that. Destruction is the defining moment or point or breakdown thereof of whatever that was so that it can go be something new. We can't be anything new unless we destroy something. It's part of the cycles. My cycles in my job, really jobs, all have a common destruction point. When I feel that I am no longer working in earnest for myself anymore. When I no longer feel fulfilled by the work I'm doing. And that could be partly someone else's interaction I'm having with them, or it could be wholly me. It's been a differentiation the entire time back and forth between jobs. But in all of the jobs I've done, the end destruction point of my work at the location or the specific idea of the work I was doing came about because I didn't feel like it fulfilled who I was. 
and thus it must be destroyed. So going back to where I began this conversation, where you have these people who feel called to do something, that feeling is a sense of destruction. And it's almost dread in some cases. It's anxiety. It's all of these things that we often, again, give the negative connotation to. But we can look at them different. And that's what I think cycles, the understanding of cycles allows us to look at things differently. I think it allows us to look at what's really going on here. What's happening? Again, objective questions, but we also get to go to the why side of things. Why do I feel this way? Why do these things keep happening? That one right there, I believe to be an amazing starting point for deciding how we want to live our lives or how we want to start answering all of those objective questions. Why do these things keep happening? In astrology, there's one major cycle that occurs in everyone's life that's pretty regular as far as time frame. Um, it's about 32 or 33 years. It's called your Jupiter um, returning. I believe it's Jupiter. I'm sorry, Saturn return. Nope, Venus. I knew I was going to get it eventually. It's one of those, one of the big planets return. And what it means is it's that's the cycle in which it comes back to the point in which it was on your birth in, in the cyclical nature. Remember cycles here. And it's often time when you talk to someone about whatever occurred in their lives up to their 32nd or 33rd birthday that we see commonalities and we are able to finally see a full cycle of all the things we dealt with and the ways in which we dealt with. And then they all start coming back and we start seeing them again, but maybe we don't recognize them because they happened so long ago. My cycle is now completed, but I can tell you, When I think back upon the things that I've dealt with over the last few years of my life, there is a direct correlation to another period of time in my life and another period of time in my life in which all of these things happened. And if I didn't understand that, I would make probably the same mistakes. I wouldn't be able to look at my work life and understand that that's a large part of who I am. I used to work at a necessity, or at least I thought I worked at a necessity, but I learned later that, no, I work because I work. I aim to be of service to the community. The monetary value will come after that. It's part of who I am that I usually typically actually don't have to worry about my income. It's not always great. You know, like I said, I lived out of my car for a while you know, eat free food from work. and But I've never had to worry about making income. It's always just kind of an opportunity has always presented itself. So in that cyclical nature, I had to make the decision that I did today, literally today, that the place in which I'm working does not fulfill me in any way. In fact, it's the opposite of the fulfillment. It's the de degradation of the career that I think is 
absolutely a positive in people's lives. That massage therapy is a therapeutic idea. It's not a fluffy fucking Swedish massage. And that's what corporate America USA wants to believe it is. They want to believe that it's just this fluffy, relaxing thing you get to do that people will pay for. It's not. There is true therapy work to be done in massage therapy. And I wholeheartedly believe that. I believe that there needs to be a better education structure for these therapists. I believe that they need the, the industry itself needs to make itself better because it is important to people's lives and it can help people. And that being my full belief structure on the matter, the work I do in the location I work at can be fulfilling. Maybe more times than not with the clientele that I have. But I'm watching that disappear and I'm, I'm watching the upper establishment think otherwise. That this is just a monetary financial gain situation. That people are just, you know... They're just people and they're stupid and they don't get it. Nor, you know, do they know what's good for them. And I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. In a bigger cycle, I see that in the Western medicine system. And I believe the cycle of the Western medicine system is quickly ending. I believe that they're almost tyrannical constructs of health are breaking. And people are, are understanding that it's all bullshit. Not all of it. If you're having a heart attack, please go to the hospital. And I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose or prescribe. And you should build a, a good, you know, healthy relationship with your doctor. And you should be able to trust them. But insurance and big pharma and even the schools of nursing and, well, not so much nursing. Nursing schools are pretty good. But the schools that doctors go to are, it's an indoctrination program. It has nothing to do with the health of the individuals. Nothing to do with the health of the clientele. Nothing to do with the health of the patient. It has everything to do with making money. And that is a corruption. And that is an ordering in the cycles. We are in the realm in which the cycles were ordered to corruption and deceit and, and coercion. And the rich got rich off the non-rich. And that's the way they wanted it to be. And they wanted us not to pay attention. But the reality is everything is cyclical. And the cycle is coming to an end and the destruction must occur. And I can either sit on the sidelines and allow someone else to do that, or I can participate and I participate in a way that feels right to me and is correct morally and ethically and does not hurt anyone else. Yes. The owner of the establishment, which I work at will suffer if I leave. Am I a direct correlation of their suffering? They will see it that way. Their decisions and their actions are what brought this about. That is ultimately the realm of Dharma, of naturally occurring in this lifetime actions and reactions. Again, are they going to see it that way? No, they're going to they're going to think I'm a terrible person and I fucked them over, and you know they'll lose all respect for me and they'll burn the bridge themselves. And that's just it's something you have to kind of accept. As long as you yourself are not physically trying to charge them, kind of, I'm not trying to physically harm them in any way. Are they not going to be able to pay their rent? No. Are they going to have to live a little bit below the means they're living at? Probably. Oh, fucking well. You know? It comes down to self-worth. It comes down to cycles in yourself. 
And you have to look at what has been occurring throughout your entire life. These are all cyclical things. In your relationships is a great example. What are the cycles in your life? What are they? What do they look like? How do you deal with them? What can you learn from them? Yes, go through all the objective questions, but in the realm of spirituality, start asking the why questions. Why do these things keep happening to me? Is there a lesson I'm not getting? Is there a lesson I'm not learning? You might not even believe in a higher power. That's fine. Again, your belief structures and your faith are all your own. And you get to decide that for yourself and no one else should decide it for you. But I find that the universe does present cyclical opportunities to learn about ourselves and others and and different things. It's all cyclical. And I like to at times now stop and ask, why did that just happen? Why does this keep occurring? And to look at that piece and then add in the objectivity. So you can ask yourself, why do I keep feeling like shit at work? Why do bad things keep happening to me at work? To give you a perfect, uh, a personal example of how I use this in the past is with my family. At some point in time in my endeavors to figure out what was going on with my family and, and what to do about how I was feeling about the situation, I began to ask myself, why does bad shit keep happening every time I go near them? Why do I constantly feel like crap? Why do, why do I f- constantly feel like a lesser of a person? Why do I constantly feel, you know, like the outcast? Why do I, you know, have anxiety about it? Why do I feel bad about it? Why, why is it just creating all of these terrible things to me? When I'm around them, every time I would go and get involved with them, something bad would happen, be it minute or, you know, from just, I don't know, stupid stuff from a, a random interaction or an off the cuff comment that just made me feel bad to actually physically getting harmed because I was doing something with them. And then like, I got hurt out of nowhere, just randomly or not randomly, but Asking myself that led me to the idea of, okay, well, if the cycle is every time I get involved with these people, something not good happens to me in my personal opinion, what happens if I just stop getting involved? Well, in fact, the cycles changed and better things started to happen to me. I started to be happier. I started to be not happier, more content, more just better. Things were just getting better when I was just not involved with that bullshit. And I've also done that in job places. I'm in this weird cycle right now with my current workplace that because of the work I do and the people that I get to do that work with my clientele, good things happen a lot. But when it comes to the physical workspace, I'm constantly like mad at something or, you know, angered by some moral ethical dilemma that occurred just the other day. I ran into a door just turned around and boom, there's, door handle right in my abdomen. Like those things don't typically happen. I'm very good about my workspace. I move around a table constantly, you know, just to randomly get hurt like that and be like, what the fuck? How did that happen? Why did that happen? So that's what I talk about. You know, that's what I mean when I talk about like the, the smaller cycles 
And in the end, eventually, when we start to understand cycles a little bit better and we can start to see them a little bit better and we, we start to get a better understanding of them, we can make more informed, more quote-unquote correct or correct feeling decisions. And if we go, you know, if you go back to the episodes on choice and change, we can start to make better correlated choices that allow for a better change in our lives. And that can happen minutely at our own personal level. It can happen at our, our relationship family level. It can happen at the societal level. But there needs to be an understanding of the cyclical nature of things and how these cycles progress. And I could stand on umpteen amount of soapboxes and I could talk about all sorts of tragedies and terrible things in the world, but that doesn't, it doesn't help anyone. Getting to the root understanding of things is what helps people. And I know I talked about how I was going to talk about work a lot in this episode. That is what reoccurringly happened over the last couple of weeks to lead up to the point of me deciding, you know what, maybe I just don't want to work here anymore. Maybe I can go find a better way. I had already had the thought and I'd already kind of put in place the idea of entertaining. Like, oh, right, what would I do? What could I do? But I found myself more readily explaining to people and doing more for my clientele outside of the realm of what the establishment in which I work for believes is the correct methodology of massage. And I found that I was more fulfilled. That not being controlled in the methodology in which I practice my skill set, that freedom gave me fulfillment. So it answered all the why questions. Why do I work here? Because it's convenient. The only reason I've been working at the place I've been working is because it was convenient to me. There was just con there was convenience. But the balance to convenience was the destruction of my freedom to practice in the way I felt is correct or to do the things I was felt correct for my clientele, to see my clientele. They don't want me to say that, that they're my clients. But the reality of the situation is a lot of the clients I see only see me. They wouldn't come see someone else at the location that I work at. And that's not to say that the other people there aren't good at their jobs. It's just that I have a specific set and methodology in which I practice that those people align with. And so they want to see me and they want to see me regularly, but they can't because my schedule is full of other people for its own specific reasonings behind that. It's not that I'm not okay with seeing other clientele. It's just that my time is wasted or my skill set, my, not my time, my, my skill set is wasted on doing a basic Swedish massage. And I'm totally on board if that's what someone needs. If that's, you know, they just want to relax, fall asleep, or just have a nice relaxing massage, or maybe their medical condition requires that it's just a basic, you know, relaxing Swedish massage with some light pressure. That's just not what my skill set is based on. My skill set is based on the fact that I can provide more pressure than most any other therapist out there with just my hands. I don't need to use elbows and all sorts of other different techniques. I just have a massive amount of hand pressure I can apply. 
consistently over six to seven massages right in a row without lack of pressure being a, being available to me to use. I'm also well-versed in traditional medicines and I understand the fascial system and sports medicine specifically and how different massage techniques can help with range of motion and, you know, chronic pain situations. I understand the interplay of joints and how they work and all sorts of other things that if there's a whole clientele set that are seeking those things. And in fact, I would argue need those things. Then my skill set is wasted on not doing those and them not being able to see me because of the scheduling issues of availability with my schedule being full of the other types of massages. Again, not to say that those aren't correct. It's just, should I not have the responsibility to make myself available to the clientele that needs to see me? Is that not correct on the nature of the cycles? That if someone's going to cyclically see me week after week, bi-weekly, monthly, should I not be available for that cycle in their life? Would that not be of service to them to be service of my community so that the mom who has three kids and works a full-time job and, you know, doesn't get enough sleep because they have a newborn or any one of these other possibilities just needs someone to release the tension in their lower back so they can go about their day that they can't change the cyclical nature of the constant repetitive stress in which they're under but I can help them get through it. Should I not be available for that? Should I not make myself more available for that? Why am I not available for that? Again, going back to the spiritual questions and the why answer to that is why am I not available for that is because I've decided to take a convenient job or work at a convenient location to me. That's not a good enough answer. The answer to that why question, I'm trying to bring this all cyclical here so you can see how the answers to why questions start to matter is why am I not available to the probably 100 people who want to see me at least once a month, if not more? And in fact, need to because that's how they get through their cycles. Well, the answer to that question is just because the place I work is convenient to me. That's why. That's not a good enough answer. Not in the grand scheme of things. It's not a good enough answer for just to be me to be selfish about that. When I have the understanding that in the cyclical nature of things, the universe will provide some methodology or or method. So I've kind of thrown it out to the universe to make it available to me. Whatever is necessary for me to be available to them. And that's why I'm leaving my job or planning on doing so. The when, how, where, what, that'll all fill itself in. But when you start to ask the big why questions, it all does start to fill itself in. Because in the grand scheme of things, we write stories by answering those questions. But the first thing that has to happen is the the whys. Why does the author write the book? What's the answer to that question? 
Is it out of passion, out of monetary gain, out of why do you work where you work? Why do you keep the company you keep? Why do you suffer through the things that you don't want to do? Is it unconditional love for your children that you, you know, get up at 3 a.m. because they wet the bed or drive them all over Timbuktu because, you know, they have sports and, you know, when they see, they want to see their friends and all that stuff. Those are great answers, you know, the unconditional love side of things. But if it's different than that and you, you know, your answer to your why do you keep, uh, let's use the company you keep, is because you feel you have no other choice. I would look at that. I would delve deeper into that. Maybe try to find a better answer to that why question. And this is why I believe why questions to be the realm of spirituality and also the necessity to understand cycles. Because understanding cycles give us a better understanding of ourselves and the world around us and how it works. So I challenge you to look at your whys. But before then, and maybe even with that, I challenge you to look at the cycles that are happening in your life on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly, yearly, or throughout your entire life, or maybe even, you know, take your family unit and see what's happening with them. You know, it helps answer the why questions when you start to answer or understand how the cycles work. And the cycle, the big cycle that can be big or small in my personal opinion, comes from chaos, creation, order, and destruction. And understanding each individual piece helps us understand the whole. And the whole thing, again, helps us understand each individual piece. Because when we understand the destruction of chaos, the order of chaos, the creation of chaos, we better understand chaos. When we understand the chaos of creativity, the order of creativity, the destruction of creativity, we better understand creativity. So on and so forth for order and destruction. They are all cycles inside of themselves and cycles of themselves and a cycle they themselves. And when you start to put this all together, I think there's an understanding of spirituality. And one of the pieces I aim to delve deeper into is that cycles of the feelings, the senses. I know what sight is, taste is, smell is, touch is, hearing is. I know what my physical senses are, but what other senses do we have we don't pay attention to? That tingling feeling up and down your spine when something something's about to happen. The the magnetic pulse I get when I'm working on people when I talk about working on their bioelectric field that I imagine, and not really imagine, I've, I've heard quite often from other quote-unquote energy practitioners. What is the feeling the tarot reader gets when they start to understand what the cards are telling them? Or, or what is the feeling the medium gets when they're, you know, according, apparently, you know, conversing with the other side or those types of things. What is that feeling? What is the feeling the hospice worker gets when they're around people who are dying constantly all day long, their life is death. What is the feeling the mortuary gets when they're around the bodies? What are these other feelings we get? What are the feelings that the maternity wards gets? What is the feeling the doctor gets when it delivers a baby? 
What is the feeling a nurse gets when it gets to discharge a patient because they're healthy again? What is the feeling that the spiritual leader gets when they lead a prayer circle or have a counseling session? What is the counseling session? What's the feeling the person behind the counter giving you the slice of pizza gets? And why do they get them? That's what I aim to delve into next. Maybe we'll see. I'm sure something else will come up. I always just kind of try to listen to what's going on. What's, what's the flow? Go with the flow. They always say there's a good example to end on. What does it mean to go with the flow? Well, flow is part of the cycle, right? Flow is the description of the cycles. So to go with the flow would be to go with the cycles of chaos, creation, order, destruction. First, you got to figure out which one of those you're in. And then you can go with it. So if you're in the creation phase, all right, we're creating things. We're coming up with ideas. We're brainstorming. We're getting a cup of coffee. Maybe you're in the order phase of things. You're cooking a meal or, you know, what part of the cycle are you in? That's one of the first parts to understand about going with the flow. The next is to do what I call listening and listening can be any one of the senses, but listening to what the cycle, what's happening in the cycle to give it a, to give it a descriptive sense, listening to what's happening in the cycle. This is what makes great public speakers. Great. This is what makes great teachers great. This is this is the realm of greatness is when you can start to listen to whatever is happening in the cycle so that you can go with the flow. You know, how to read a room, how to, it's all those other feelings, those other senses, to listen to them, to feel them. To be intuitive is to be going with the flow. And then there's the trust, to trust that intuition, to trust that gut feeling. That's kind of what I did today. I debated all day long, and mind you, I debate things in a dark room in my own mind hours at a time because I don't really talk to my clients all that much. I don't talk unless I'm talked to. So I had a lot of time to think about what was going to happen today, and it happened. And I feel calm and collected about it because I went with the flow of it. And it felt right. It still feels right. Because I intuitively knew this was where things were going. Just like I do with this podcast quite often. I just kind of let things fall into place. And I'm not saying that's easy. And I'm not saying it's, you know, it's something you can just do right away. But I believe you can learn it. I do truly believe that. I, I believe you can learn. And part of that is to, to understand these cycles. And they, I believe personally maybe you want to have your own discussion with yourself and others about this, that you were lied to when they told you creation was the first part of the cycles and that chaos was some other, other outside influences, outside force. Instead, I believe to sum everything up here, chaos is the beginning of the cycle. It's also the end of the cycle because it's a cyclical thing. Cycles just revolve. They come around and they go around. But chaos is infinite possibility. Creation is the structure, giving something structure to so that it can be made, create the structure and then make it. Order is the act of making. It's the act of giving it substance. Destruction is the finish point. It's the finality of it. And that can be 
it can be everything from the destruction of a, a physical life, the death of one person, or it could be the creation of the diamond from anthracite so that now the coal has been destroyed and now we have a diamond. That's, that's the cycle because as soon as something's destroyed, it goes right back into chaos, infinite possibility. And if you don't believe that on the cycle of life, to pick a final cycle to talk about here, I would challenge you to look at history. This is something that I'm, I'm a little bit adamant about. The death of a person has infinite effect on history itself. Every great voice dies, comes to an end. But all voices do the same. And the measurement between the two, between the just a voice dying and a great voice dying, is remembrance. And the effect it had on the people around it. Because the greatest of voices are not those that change history. The greatest voices are those that changed people. So, with that in mind, please go look at your cycles and uh, ask yourself some why questions and I'll come up with another episode and and, uh, that'll be waiting for you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. But go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.